Welcome to another episode from TFA Church. Here at TFA Church, we value people and we trust that this episode will be a blessing to you. Praise the Lord. If you want to follow along with me, uh, turn with me to a familiar passage. It's in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 22. Um, It is the passage that has to do with um, Abraham sacrificing Isaac. If you don't know the story, uh, Abraham is considered, you know, like a patriarch of the faith, uh, the father of the faith, right? And, and God promises that like all the nations of the world will be blessed and he'll have an heir. And he's like, hey, I don't have any babies. What are you talking about? And then he tells him, you're going to have a baby. And he's like, but my wife's past childbearing age. You're a crazy God. And then his wife laughs like, God can't do that. But then God's like, hey, I can do what I want because I'm God. So she ends up having a baby, and they have this promised child called Isaac. And then there comes a day where this promise, remember God's unlocking the promises in this service, right? There comes a day where this promise is tested. And the Bible says that God essentially tells Abraham, hey, take your son, your only son, and take him up on this mountain and, and, and offer him as a burnt offering to me. And I'm just going to pick up there, and the title of this message today, I'm really terrible at titles, but I feel like God gave me this title, uh, it's saying, um, in due season in due season. I'm just going to start reading at verse 9 here, if you're with me. It says, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And so Abraham called the name of this place Yehovah Yiri in the Hebrew, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be, shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham, and this is my favorite part, because a lot of us get stuck here. We get stuck here. Oh, this is a life of great sacrifice as a Christian. We must throw ourselves on the altar and give ourselves to Jesus fully. And I think that's good, and I think that's right, and I think there's good doctrine that backs that up. But what we forget sometimes is the reason that God has gotten us to this point is because there's something more beyond it. And this more that comes beyond it is here. The angel of the Lord called to him a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. There is an authority, a power, a supreme being who has all power and authority to make a decree of his own mouth that is supreme to every other decree ever. And it says, because you have done this and have not we held this, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring. Now check this out. It's the stars of the heaven. And we love that. And we say, yes, grow our flock, Lord. But what we miss is this part. Not only is he multiplying the offspring, it actually says, as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. This is a familiar thing because if you remember when Peter stands before Jesus and Jesus says, on, the, on this rock, the revelation that I, Jesus, and the Messiah, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a similar phrase. I love this phrase. Why? Because I've been in the army for 18 years and my current job is we are constantly training for war. We have 10 rotations come through every year. 
um, and we train them for large-scale combat operations against the near-peer enemy. Awesome, awesome job. So I'm witnessing uh, training and tactics all day long. Super, super fun. And we read this in the passage, and we see this. We see the gates of hell shall not prevail, and we have this thing in our mind. Ha-ha, devil, when you come against me, I will stand firm, because the scripture does say stand firm against the wiles of the devil. And we picture ourselves as a church standing back with this shield of faith as the devil launches his onslaughts against us, and we're confident because we're standing firm and we can defend ourselves against, against hell against the gates of hell. But I have some interesting news for you. Contextually from the scripture, the gates of hell is not an offensive position. It's a defensive position. Defensive. I like your, the thing on his bulletin board in the conference room that he says, we go towards the mess. And I saw it this morning on a thing. I said, we have a similar phrase in the army, except we say, move to contact. Because that means the enemy has set up a defensive position. And they usually set up barriers. And we move to contact as an offensive maneuver to breach the gates of the enemy. And when the breach has been made, the forces go in and we take that key terrain because that key terrain belongs to us. And I'm telling you, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this day, in this due season, is God unlocking the promises of God to endue you with power and authority to take back the physical spaces in your life that the enemy has taken over and he's putting the enemy on the defense and he's putting the roaring line of the church on the offense to take back what belongs to the king and that is you in due season it will happen in due season i find it interesting because in in verse 9 it says this when they came to the place of which god had told them abraham built there an altar when they came to the place of which god had told him which means God brought him to that point. In the other passage, it says that God tested him and said, go to a place where I will tell you, and there you will offer your son as a burnt offering unto the Lord. And in due season, I want you to understand that God will lead you to the place of your victory. God will lead you to the place of your victory. But it's an important mind shift here, because if we're not careful, this is what we think. We think God is leading me to this place of struggle. God is leading me to this place of trial. God is leading me to this place of testing. God is leading me to this place of suffering because he wants me to bind up my kid and my promise and throw him on the altar and sacrifice him. And it's a test and it's a trial and it's a turmoil. And what we think is that God is somehow leading us into pain, into despair. But the devil is the one who comes to steal, to kill and destroy, not the heavenly father. And so what happens though is when we're sick or when we're going through something that violates what scripture says, maybe we just think about ourselves, oh man, I'm just, I'm just depressed. This is just the Lord testing me. Or oh man, I've had this sickness for so long it just must be my cross to bear he hasn't healed me yet maybe it's not his will to heal me it is his will to heal you but the problem is we get ourselves in this mindset and we think that god has somehow led us into a trap and this used to bother me i remember reading matthew chapter four and it's this interesting passage where it says in the holy spirit that jesus was led up by the spirit the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I would read that over and over again, and I'd say something like, God, what is wrong with you? I know you guys never talk to God like that. I get it. This doesn't make sense, God. That's a dumb move. Why would you do that? I don't understand. you got to show me something because I don't get it. 
Why are you, why are you setting him up for failure? Thing we say in the army all the time, we're setting him up for failure. Why are you setting Jesus up for failure? And I felt like God just kind of laughed a little bit. I'm not setting Jesus up for failure. I'm setting a trap. I'm setting a trap for the devil. And when that devil came, the angels prepared Jesus. He came back with the word, and he crushed the serpent there in that meeting, even in his weakest point. And I want to say this because I think it's important. There are people here sitting in this sanctuary, people watching online, hearing the sound of my voice, and you are going through it. And it's true. I'm not saying, I, I, I believe in a prosperity gospel of blessing. I really do. I, I guess I believe more in a generosity gospel. Because God wants his church to be powerful and influential because he wants them to change the world. He designed them that way. The money that Jesus had from his birth was able to sustain his ministry. There's a blessing there. But he did say, in this world we will have trials. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And I just feel really strongly in my spirit that there are people in this sanctuary, people watching online, and you're going through it. And times are super, super tough. Maybe they're tough in your marriage. Maybe they're tough in your finances. Maybe you've been praying for a miracle and nothing has happened yet. Maybe you've been praying for a loved one and you're like, I just need them to come to Jesus and realize how it really is. And it's hopeless for this person. And you have all this struggle in your mind and you're thinking it's not going to happen. But the truth is, when the devil comes at you in such a way, when the trials are at their worst, when, when bad things happen, like the daughter like hurt her shoulder uh, and we had a bunch of other like crazy things that were like really bad happened this week which I just think is the devil's attack trying to discourage us from coming here and sharing this message it's like when you're sick but you pray for someone to be healed right and then you're like oh how come they're healing this person whatever but when the devil is doing all these things I'll quote a pastor from California he always says um, it's when the devil does these things it's his last card not his best card and if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll bind ourselves up like we bound Isaac in this passage and we'll stay bound because we have the wrong perspective, thinking, well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. I better just sit back and, and love my Jesus when really God is calling the church to be salt and light and to be offensive and to go forward and take back the things that were stolen from you, whether it's your peace because you're suffering from depression or your health because you have some illness or your marriage because there's been difficulty there, there is hope and power in the name of Jesus. And in due season, he's leading you to your place of victory, not the place of your sorrow. But it's interesting when we look at this passage and we say, oh, I see when the victory came. That victory came when he was taking up that knife and he's about to slaughter his only son, the promised one. And then the Lord called to him and said, Abraham, Abraham, don't do that. I got a ram stuck for you in this thicket over here. But I would, I would propose this, that Abraham won this victory far before that. If you actually go back with me to verse 3, it says, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood from the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Verse 5, you ready? Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. And? And. Come again to you. I and the boy are going over there. We're going to worship. 
and I and that boy are coming right back here. The boy and I are going over there to worship. Now, Abraham knows that God had told him to take him up and offer up a burnt offering. And we could try to logic our way off all of it, all we want, and say, well, maybe he meant like, well, they're going to come back, and he's just going to bring the dead, off, the dead boy with him and, and whatever. No, 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 no. This isn't just like he's going to kill him. He's going to slaughter him, and he's going to burn him, and there's going to be ashes. There's nothing left when you offer a burnt offering that's going to come back with this guy. But he says to his people, that boy and I are going over there, and that boy and I are coming back. And the mistake is this. We read this passage, and we think that God wanted him to slaughter that kid. God never did. And you, we think that Abraham thought maybe God did, but Abraham didn't. And the Bible tells us in Revelations that Abraham trusted that God would actually resurrect. Actually, in Hebrews, he says it. In the, in, the, in the wall of faith passage, it says Abraham had faith and knew that God would raise him from the dead if he had to. There was nothing in Abraham that believed for one second that the promises of God were going to be slaughtered. There was nothing in Abraham that said, I will lose this promise. Abraham knew that he knew that he knew by faith in the living God that his promise would survive against all odds. And I think what happens is we read that passage sometimes and we say to ourselves, oh, I just can, I'll just put this promise right on this altar and I'll just let it die if God wants me to. And we think we're living holy and we think we're living righteous because we're humble enough to just let our promises lay there and die. And the Spirit of God saying, I never gave you a promise to let that promise die. I gave you a promise to let that promise live. Did my son die and stay dead? No, my son is alive today, and my son moves in power. And when we match what is happening in the spirit realm with what is coming from the spirit of our heart, something happens. You begin to speak, and I'm going to call it this, with a prophetic voice. A prophetic voice. Prophetic voice. In due season, you will actually release your victory when you speak your victory. The Bible says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is in your heart when trials come your way comes out of your mouth? And the things that we say are the things that we agree with. And if we agree with the devil and his lies that our promises are dead, we have empowered the one who lied. If you, if you agree with a lie, you empower the liar. But there's something powerful about speaking with prophetic voice. And I get it, right? I understand what happened in Pentecostal world. We went too far and we, get, we got all named it, claim it. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Oh, ha, there is a million dollars in my Cadillac that I don't even have. Tomorrow morning we all got crazy. I get it. I understand. But what we did is we threw the baby out with the bathwater and we forgot that God puts anointing on your words. I want you to understand something. God is the king of the universe. And when he created the universe, it says this. He didn't wiggle his nose like bewitch. He didn't twitch his little ear. He didn't, you know, uh, wizard it up like Harry Potter. No. The Bible says in Hebrew, they amar Elohim ur. And God said, light be. And light became. Why? Because when he speaks, he creates. It's in his nature. And when we speak, speak, we create. Why? Because we were actually created in the image of God. Did you know the Bible actually says that we are partakers we share in the divine nature. Do you realize that the woman with the issue of blood, when she touched the hem of his garment, she got healed, but that the Bible says that she said to herself, if I just touch the hem of his garment. 
when he cursed the fig tree and his disciples said, holy cow, that's the craziest miracle I've ever seen. And Jesus looked at him like they were stupid. Then he said, what do you mean? If you have faith, you can speak to this mountain and it will be uprooted. Jesus says we will give account for every careless word that comes out of our mouth. Job says, decree a thing and it shall be established. When we speak, things happen. Because truth has power over darkness. The problem is that the devil is more aware of this strategy than we are as a church. I'm talking capital C. And what has happened over the centuries is that the enemy in the kingdom of darkness has sought to silence the voice of the church. He's even done it in Pentecostal circles. And I get it. I love the Assemblies of God. I am an Assemblies of God chaplain. I love it. It's great. The current chief of chaplains, also Assemblies of God. Boom. Power coming to the army. Miracles are happening. Prayed for soldiers' wives one time. They said, I was in the hospital when the doctor said, I'm sorry, your wife's going to die tonight. And if she lives through the night, she'll be a vegetable the rest of her life. And you need to think about what you want to do. I said, I don't care what the doctor said. And I love doctors. Go to them. Use them. Medicine's fine. No issue. But I said, God wants your wife better. I prayed for her and she's alive. She was healed. The stuff God's doing. But I spoke it. And the kingdom of darkness has sought to silence the voice of the church. He's even sought to silence the voice of the assemblies of God. And we've narrowed our Pentecostal expression in the assemblies of God to two things. Praying for the sick, which is really good. I love praying for the sick and seeing them heal. And speaking in tongues. And I love praying in tongues. That's my kids. I'm walking around my house all day and I'm praying in tongues. When I make pancakes in, in, in the morning, when I have a morning, because my current job sometimes doesn't give me one, right? I'll be flipping up some pancakes, having a good old time. But there is a Pentecostal expression that God is restoring to the church, and that is prophetic declaration. It is speaking, not name it, claim it. It is speaking what the word of God says. And this, I know this is the word of God, but my friend Eldon Wilson always says, Mike, that's not really the word because the word never loses its power. <laughs> He's got me. He's with Jesus now, but I, mean, I can't argue with the man. Right? But you speak what the word says. What did Jesus do when, when the devil came and said to him, oh, if you're really the son of God, why don't you turn some stones into bread? It is written, don't tempt the Lord. Your man shall not live on, every, on, on bread alone, but on every living word that comes from the mouth of God. We start speaking what the word says over our circumstances. We start declaring it in our lives, and there's power that comes in. And what's happened is this. The church is used to speaking, but I hear God in the spirit saying, my church has spoken, but they've spoken like little tiny lambs. Little lambs. Bad, bad. And I feel like the Lord is saying, and it almost sounds coarse, but he's saying, I'm sick of hearing the bleeding of my sheep. Because when my son comes back, do you think he's coming back as a lamb? He came as a lamb, and he died as a perfect lamb. But when he returns, he will come as a lion. And when the roar of the lion's mouth comes, the kingdom of God will tremble in darkness. And I have not called my church, says the Lord, to walk around bleeding like wussy lambs and little sissy babies. I have called them to be roaring lions. And I am putting my voice back in their lungs so that when they speak and when they express and when they declare in the spirit realm, there is no choice but for the word of God to come forth and not return 
turn void because the word of God is powerful. The word of God is living. The word of God is active. And in due season, you will see your victory because you will speak it. So he raises early up. Takes his son up there. He's about to kill his son. Times are very, very desperate. But I love what happens here. It says, The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not done this. And what I realize is that in due season, there is a word for you in the very moment of desperation. In due season, the prophetic voice of God unites with the prophetic voice of your faith and relieves, uh, releases a word in the very moment of desperation. This is why prophetic culture is so important in the church. And what I said about God restoring the, his voice to his people, it's because God has raised up a people who, who have uh, uh, appreciated the prophetic voice. And I would surmise, like Pastor Danny, that this is a house that appreciates the prophetic voice and you appreciate prophetic people. But I've said it to other churches and I'll say it to this one. God is raising up a people who aren't just people who appreciate prophetic people, but you actually will become prophetic people. You'll become prophetic people. And here's why it's important. It's important to understand that, yes, the word of God is amazing, and I love the word of God, and no uh, fresh revelation of God will ever contradict what this word says. But would you imagine what would have happened if Abraham would have stopped and said, well, I got a word from the Lord. I'm supposed to kill this kid. And he stopped listening after that. Do you see the power of a fresh revelation? of a fresh word of God in your spirit. Uh, we call it a now word. If you, if you want to get super fancy and study some theology, there's a couple words for word in the Greek, right? We have logos, and the logos became flesh and dwelt among us. We typically think about that as like black and white words on a piece of paper. It's, less, it's the word of God. It's kind of static. And there's this other word for God, and that word is rhema. It's like a living word. It's, there's life to it. There's power and authority behind it because it's fresh and it's moving. And what God is doing is saying in due season, this rhema word is going to match your faith because when God speaks, that's when things happen. And God is going to give you a word in season. And isn't it funny? Doesn't the psalm, I think it's the psalms or the proverbs actually says uh, a word in due season brings joy to the soul. And there's something on it that when God speaks, this fresh revelation, prophetic culture releases prophetic revelation that reveals supernatural provision. Prophetic culture releases prophetic revelation that reveals supernatural provision. I get it. I see what's happening in the world. I understand the radical agendas of certain things and certain people and certain groups, and I get it. But I think the problem is we get so focused on all the things that the enemy's doing that we lose sight of what God's doing. In the prophetic realm, I'll say it this way, a lot of prophets are very good. They see great into the second heaven, but they forget to look into the third heaven and see what God's doing because the enemy is no equivalent with God. 
The devil and all his angels and every demonic power in hell is nothing compared to the power of God. There is no demon that is equal to God. God is not a created being. He's not the opposite of Jesus or the opposite of God. He is a nothing to him. And he's a nothing to you. A nothing to you. The Bible says you are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. When Jesus told his disciples that the anointing of God would be on them over all the power of the enemy and over scorpions and all these things, that word is released to you as well. It is not meant to end there. The book of Revelation tells us that the testimony of Jesus, the things Jesus has done, is the spirit of prophecy, which means uh, very simply what he did for one, he'll do for another. If he did it for them, he'll do it for you. Do it for me. The authority is yours. And what happened is we thought we were just a bunch of bleeding lambs. But God says you're lions. You have more power and more authority than you think because you're his children. The army has always had us very far from home. When we were at Port Stewart, I think we were only 16 hours from home because we're from New York. My dad lived in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and on our way journey up there, we'd always stop at my dad's house. And the first thing I would do when I walked into my dad's house is I'd go to the fridge, and I knew that my dad always had some chocolate milk, and I loved me some chocolate milk. And I would walk to that fridge, and I'd open up that fridge, and I'd have some chocolate milk. I didn't ask my dad for permission. I didn't wonder if it was there or not because I know who I am in my father's house. And I'm telling you that there are some people in this, this place right now and you're watching online and you forgot who you were in your father's house. And the Bible says that he makes the earth his footstool. And I tell you what, if the earth is his footstool, do you think he's hanging his footstool somewhere not in his house? No, 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 no. This place belongs to God. This house belongs to God. And when you realize who you are in your father's house, you begin to walk with the power and authority of the kingdom inside of you because you realize who you are in Christ Jesus. And that prophetic revelation begins to unleash supernatural provision and things begin to happen in your life and guess what there are times when I showed up and my dad wasn't home and that door was locked do you think that stopped me from getting that chocolate milk no way did that stop me from getting that chocolate milk because my daddy said son there's a key hidden for you and I'll tell you right where that key is. You just got to look a little bit. And he said, yeah, it's under the plant. And I go out back, and there's a few plants there, and I lifted up the pot, and there was no key under there. What would have happened if I said, oh, dear, well, the key's not here. I guess we better turn around. No chocolate milk for Mike today. <laughs> I just turned over another pot. <laughs> I got to the third one, brother, and guess what I found? The key. The key. Some of you have been turning over some pots and you're getting discouraged because you don't see a key yet. The Bible says it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. When we do Easter eggs in our house and we hide money in the egg, you know what we do with them? Do I just walk down and say, here's your Easter egg, kids? That's dumb. If you do that, I'm sorry, I just insulted you. 
<laughs> we hide them. We hide them, and they go run around and they look for them. God doesn't hide things from us. He hides things for us. The king in that passage is you, because the scripture says you are a royal priesthood, a kingdom, kings and queens, sons and daughters of the king. And when you begin to realize this, you realize something. When he saw that ram in the thicket, his son no longer had to be slaughtered because the supernatural provision was released. And I realize that the same blade that was crafted to slaughter his promise is the same blade that set his son free. It's the same blade that cut the ropes. I feel that in my spirit. I feel the blade of God, the sword of the king, walking through right now, and he's cutting some cords off of you. He's cutting some cords off of you. Yeah, you've been laying there for too long on that altar, and you let yourself be bound. It, just like Isaac. You know, Isaac had to carry that wood up the thing when you read the passage. You know that? Abraham's probably just too old and weak to do it. He was super old. And he said, hey, kid, you got to carry up this wood. You think he wrestled his son to tie him up, can't even carry the wood up the mountain? No way. Isaac let himself be bound. You let it yourself be bound. But the problem is there's too many people that are keeping their promises tied up because they think their place is on the altar to be tied. And the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. I didn't leave you there on the altar. I left my son on the altar, and I didn't even leave him there. I sacrificed him, but I rose him from the dead. If I didn't keep him under the cords of death, do you think I'm going to keep you under the cords of your suffering and the cords of your trial and the cords of your sickness? No, I have come to set you free by the very blade that you thought would kill you and the very blade you thought would end your existence and the very blade that you thought would slaughter you your promise is the blade that's setting you free now in this moment. Because there's freedom and victory. God did not save you and redeem you from hell to stay in the place that you were of suffering and sorrow and disease and sin and I get it, We're all, we all sin at one point. The depravity of man, essential doctrine in Christian world. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But it's interesting, he says this word, yet. And I'll challenge your faith just slightly here, and maybe step on some toes, including my own. But I would like to propose this, that you as a sinner is who you were before Christ, not who you are now. For the scripture says, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they are a new creation. If you look at the Greek phrase there, he doesn't, it's not, we use this expression, he wiped the slate clean, but that's not it. There's a deeper picture there. He actually blew up the slate and, and just, just got rid of it, and he built something new. He's like Elon Musk, okay? He came along and he says, I'm going to bring a prototype of something that's never been created. In fact, that Greek word phrase there where it talks about us being new creations is where we get the word prototype. He's making something when he saved you that had never been made before that was so unique, and it is sinless. That's why we are called righteous. Right standing in the place of God. And I think what happens is as, as Christians, we've just believed that we, we, we are right to believe we were sinners. And I'm not saying that we can't sin. Don't, you know, crucify me here. And I'm not preaching heresy. I can sin. I can be tempted. But I'm saying it's no longer my nature to do so because the Bible says we are partakers of what nature? The divine nature. And if we believe we are sinners, we will sin by faith. But 
that there's a power in the presence of God. And a realization that the blade that was forced to slaughter your promise is the very blade that brings you freedom. Everyone wants their promise, but no one wants to slaughter the lamb. And when you slaughter the lamb, it gets a little messy. But I'm telling you, the anointing that you're feeling as God is unlocking this thing, and I'm almost done, that anointing that you're feeling as the key goes into the locket and begins to free you, that stirring, that uncomfortableness you feel inside of you, is God saying, don't be afraid when it gets messy. Revival is a little bloody. But it brings freedom. And I said this message was called in due season. And it's true that in due season, God does all those things that we said. But what I think honestly is happening is God said in due season to get your mind set upon it. But in due season makes it sound like it's a season that's about to happen, that hasn't happened yet. It's something that's off in the future that I have to wait for. But I feel like God is saying, no, 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 when I say in due season, I mean the season is due. I mean the season is now. I mean the season should have been probably five months ago, but I'm patient with my people, and I just need you to give them a little boost forward. And when I say in due season, I'm saying the wait is over. I'm saying your kingdom is here, and your kingdom is now, even though the kingdom is not yet. I'm saying in due season, but what I'm saying is the season is now, and that season is not for slaughter and suffering and bondage. That season is for freedom, and the blade that bound you is the blade that's going to set you free, and the place of your victory is the place where God has set you here. I know you're here and I know you're sitting and you're wondering if you should have been someplace else. You're wondering if you made the right decisions in life and you're wondering all those things and God has said, no, 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 no. I have put you in the place of your victory. Your victory stands here. So you stand here and it's time to take back the things that the devil has stolen from this body, from this church, from his people, from their health and finances and the things that the devil has done, he will repay tenfold because it is written in the word and I declare that victory over you and that release over you in Jesus' name, amen. amen.